Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast. David Slattery from Trillian County Kerry, who recently passed away, was one of the most innovative tour operators of his generation. In the early 1960s, he saw a huge change coming in the travel industry and after joining the family business in the 1960s, he introduced new ideas which benefited Tralee and the county greatly. I interviewed David and his wife Betty at their home in Phoenix and I first asked David to fill me in on his family's background. Where, where did your family originally come from? My family has been in the Tralee area for quite a while. I don't really know where their origins lie, but uh, I know my grandfather. My great-grandfather was evicted from a site uh, of his farm in Clash, where the Kerryman offices now stand, and uh, he moved uh, to Oak Park, where he acquired a farm and uh, where the Slattery family is uh, still living. That's just on the very edge of Tralee, and uh, where my grandfather was born uh, before he moved into into town, and uh, bought a premises in Rock Street, which uh, from which he ran a small business, general business. Became very prominent in public life in Tralee. Uh, he was one of the founders of the GAA in Kerry. He became chairman of the Urban Council. Uh, he was uh, chairman of the the predecessor of the present VEC, which has just celebrated its centenary. And uh, he his business expanded, and uh, uh, he led a very fruitful life. Uh, did he get involved with the nationalists? He was uh, very uh, prominent in the nationalist movement uh, in various branches of it, and uh, he. Uh, he was uh, uh, very much involved in the War of Independence, and the premises, his premises in Rock Street, was burned by the Black and Tans in the in the year the that Tralee suffered a great amount of damage, and uh, uh, he spent a little time in jail, as far as I know, in Belfast. Your father took over from your grandfather. There were six altogether. And my father was the eldest boy on this occasion, so he took over the business when my grandfather died in the uh, in the 1920s. Uh, his his mother and himself ran a large general grocery hardware general merchant business, and part of that business uh, transpired to be uh, that of a shipping agent which is where uh, our connection with the travel business uh, originated. Uh, there were many shipping agents uh, in the area, and uh, we have records of people travelling to America by boat, uh, principally from Cove, going back into the uh, 
1910s and 1920s. And uh, eventually, in 1936, when Erlingus was set up, uh, the shipping agents were were offered uh, airline agencies uh, at that time, 1936. Of course, nobody took any notice of what an airline agency was at that stage. After the war, of course, the, the immigration restarted. Uh, initially, it was by boat, but, but uh, in the uh, 1950s, the early 1950s, 51 or 52, uh, when the large uh, propeller-engined planes crossing the Atlantic took off, uh, immigration started in, in a big way. And uh, I have a letter on record from uh, TWA, which was a big airline in, in up to quite recently. Uh, it's complimenting my father on being uh, the largest seller of uh, airline tickets out of uh, Europe to America. Uh, that was mostly, of course, because of the huge volumes of emigration. Um, uh, uh, gradually, of course, the jets came in in the late 50s and that increased the amount of travel. And, uh, you know, it has been growing and growing ever since. How did you get into it, David? Was it by accident or was it by design? Well, I, I suppose to some extent it was uh, by accident. I, I was, in fact, teaching on the missions in Nigeria for a number of years and... Uh, I was one of the first Irish uh, teachers teaching in Nigeria, but after that uh, there was quite a, a number of um, people who took up the, the cause and spent a few years there teaching. Were those enjoyable years for you? Did you enjoy the, the I suppose, the challenge really of, of uh, moving into a country uh, which was underdeveloped and, and very, I suppose, suffering from famine? and. Uh, well, yeah, I certainly enjoyed it. I, I fitted into it very well. The climate was very severe, of course, but it, it uh, I was able to cope with it. There was no, I didn't have any problems. It was a huge challenge. Uh, um, Nigeria at that stage was a developing country. Uh, it had a lot of natural resources, uh, particularly uh, oil, uh, which uh, gave it a very bright promising future but unfortunately things didn't turn out quite as had been expected. Nigeria got independence in 1961 and uh, the area where I was working that's the eastern eastern region uh, where all the oil was uh, attempted to break away from the remainder of the country and set up an independent con country of its own called Biafra which which uh, resulted in a very bloody civil war, which lasted a number of years. And the country really has never recovered from that. There have been, been military dictatorships one after another, and the place is rife with corruption. And even though they have plenty of natural resources, they, they have gone backwards rather than forwards. Mm. When I came home in uh, 1961... Uh, my mother was ill, and uh, she died shortly after that, and then my father died uh, the following year, and uh, my brother, Tom, was then running the business, 
and uh, I assisted him for a few years and then uh, the travel business was developing and uh, I, I sided with that side of the business. So that has, uh, was a complete change in direction in my life. At that stage you were faced with another uh, complete new task and, and how did you start? Well, the travel business uh, has been in the family for quite a long time, as I mentioned. Uh, my father was appointed a travel agent by Aer Lingus in 1936. But uh, the, it was very slow in developing. And when I came on the scene in the early 1960s, there really wasn't a lot of travel business, but it was growing. That was the time when the packaged holiday business was starting. Were the ships gone at this stage? Were people not taking uh, passage to to the, the States or to Europe anymore? No, really. The shipping business, the huge transatlantic liners, which regularly called Cove, uh, began uh, to decline in the 1960s. Uh, there was a regular service, almost a daily service, I'd say, from Cove to New York and various parts of Canada up to the mid-1960s. Uh, in fact, when uh, uh, I got married to my wife Betty, Betty Murphy from uh, Clanmore and Tralee, uh, in 1964, we travelled in style to America on uh, one of the Cunard liners, the uh, Sylvania. And that that was uh, one of a reg one of a number of regular services calling to Cove most days of the week, but that that era has now passed completely. What a what a huge change! Uh, everything is by air now, and and it gets you. The, the world is moving much faster because of of uh, the the flights that you can now get. I, it is, of course, yeah. The, the, the travelling by sea was, of course, much slower and, of course, quite expensive. But there wasn't much movement in packaged holidays out of Ireland. So I, I concentrated at that stage in bringing people into Ireland rather than taking them out. So I, one of the, the projects I... Uh, launched at that stage was uh, the Harstrand Caravans, which many people will remember uh, uh, trekking in and out the Dingle Road for many years. I'm sure many people have um, are, are uh, happy that they're no longer stuck behind two or three caravans. But this proved to be very, very popular and was very successful. Uh, we had, uh, at, at our max, we had uh, 32 caravans, and we appropriately named them after uh, the counties. We had one named after each of the 32 counties in Ireland. And uh, the, the business in the uh, late 60s and uh, throughout the 70s and 80s was very, very popular. Where did that come from, uh, the idea of, of those uh, horse-drawn caravans? I, I understand that the business was originally started by two Murphy brothers in County Cork. Uh, they took a flyer and uh, sold holidays uh, in gypsy caravan, in real gypsy caravans. And uh, this was quite innovative at the time. And it was one of the things that uh, a lot of the continental people and English people just took to like a duck takes to water. 
and it was very, very popular. Um, horses were in plentiful supply, of course, and the roads were very quiet. There were very few cars or buses or trucks, so it was quite safe. And uh, it it was a totally novel experience, particularly for uh, city-bound people. And uh, they came here in big numbers. Where did you get these caravans made? Who made them for you? The first, the first bunch of caravans that we had were made locally by a few carpenters, and uh, the the after the initial flush of business. Uh, people were beginning to demand uh, higher standards. So I got the next tranche of caravans built by a, a, a carriage builder in County Wexford uh, who had been in the business for generations and he made a very good job. He did a very good job in, in building them. They were really authentic and they were and they were very well made and lasted for right up to the time the business uh, really finished uh, in the in 2004. David's wife Betty, who was also involved in the business, tells us here what she remembers about those days of the barrel caravans. I was very involved when we were doing the horse-drawn caravans. This might shock people, but I washed four to five hundred sheets a week and ironed them and brought them back out to the caravan park where we had a caravan park in Farmer's Bridge. It was most authentic in the sense that the, uh, David was telling me that the caravans were, were made uh, as authentic as possible. Oh, they were. And, and even the horses were piebald horses. Piebald ponies and uh, the, even the horses got Christmas cards at Christmas from people. And people from, say, as far away as Berlin would come on six, seven years in a row and they wanted the same horse, the same caravan, sent them Christmas cards at Christmas and just would deal with no other horse. And we had a very fine fellow working in the caravan park called Mick Ryle, who was marvellous with horses. He was um, he could talk to the horses, and the horses almost talked to him. When did the buses start, David? Uh, you, you ran buses from Tralee to London for, for many years. We, we did, yes. We, we got established in the bus business in the mid-60s. Uh, we had uh, a very large business from Germany of uh, students and uh, we set up a, a language school in the Presentation Convent in Tralee in 1968. The first thing I remember where foreign people were involved was foreign students coming to Tralee to learn English. David had a school going in Presentation Convent every year and coach loads of German and French people came to Tralee, mostly teenagers or people in their 20s. And part of the programme was uh, the uh, uh, sightseeing tours, which we included. But it was very difficult to get uh, uh, a coach at that time to do the the, the sightseeing. Uh, CIE was the only one in in the bus business and uh, they were full to capacity so I just had to go and buy a bus of my own which is precisely what we did and eventually um, 
the bus business began to take over from everything else. And uh, in 1972, we set up the program running a bus from Ireland to England, various parts of England, London, Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester. And in a very short time, it was a, a very major business. Uh, the airfares, of course, were ridiculously high. Uh, the bus and train was cumbersome and awkward, and you had to change trains, and you had to go by boat. And uh, This service then, which went right through to London, sat on in Tralee or in Limerick or in Galway, wherever, and you travelled right through to the UK. Uh, and it was uh, the real predecessor, I suppose, of uh, the mass market, which goes by air nowadays, uh, with Ryanair and Aer Lingus. What about the uh, filling those buses? Did, did it become popular straight away? Did people take to uh, to those buses? Uh, almost instantaneously. Uh, there was really no direct services from anywhere, either by train or by air. Of course, Cork Airport didn't... Yes, Cork, Cork Airport existed from the 1960s, but the flights were few and far between and the fares were very high. So a direct bus from Cork to London was a tremendous boon at that time particularly for uh, the many people who were working in England, not just tourists, but people working, particularly uh, um, tradespeople, carpenters, plumbers, who had a lot of tools and things like that. Uh, they couldn't travel by air because the excess baggage charge was so high that uh, they just couldn't carry their tools with them. So they travelled by bus and were delighted to do so. And, of course, for a fraction of the price. And then that... Um I, I remember David told me that uh, he was he had a group of agricultural people going to Brussels to see the common market headquarters. And he heard one farmer say to another farmer, my God, when we were going to Cork, the bus had its tongue hanging out. So that encouraged David to buy one new bus. And that was the start of the bus business. He bought new buses then as time went by. And, and then we had a coach going from Farmer's Bridge to Barcelona once a week, which was packed. That was a great thing. That was a camping holidays in Spain to Blanes in uh, southern France and then into Spain, north of Barcelona. So I'm sure we were the only company in Ireland who had a coach going weekly from Farmer's Bridge to Barcelona. So this really uh, established a slattery business. Uh, at this stage, you must have seen the business growing quite quite well. Well, our business didn't go through a lull <clears throat> because of the economic situation in the country. There was a lot of out outward movement and we kept developing and opening new routes and uh, that side of the business grew uh, as did the inward business uh, kept on growing at that time there was huge growth in hotels and guest houses in the 70s and 80s and uh, that generated huge business as well uh, so we we extended our court service uh, in 88 onto the continent and that ran from London, and we were able to connect our service from Ireland uh, to our service to the continent, which uh, 
was very beneficial for us because a lot of people were able to come directly to Ireland then from the continent. One of David's highlights in his life was being a passenger on the Jenny Johnson replica famine ship that sailed across the Atlantic. My involvement, I, I didn't really have any uh, involvement in the building or organizing of it, but uh, I did have an opportunity uh, to sail from Newfoundland to Feenet on the Jeannie Johnson in, um, nine, in 2003. Uh, we arrived in Feenet on my wife's birthday on the 6th of November 2003. She said it was one of the best birthday presents she ever got. Talk to me about that voyage. Uh, how long were you at sea? We were just two weeks at sea. We left on a Friday and we arrived on a Thursday. And uh, it was a magnificent, uh, almost unique experience nowadays. There are so few uh, ships of the Jeannie Johnson standard playing the, the, the waters uh, that uh, the opportunity is unlikely to come uh, to come again in the near future. The airport in Farnfor, that really changed everything in Kerry. It did, yes. Uh, Kerry was very fortunate to have uh, the nucleus of uh, a nice uh, small airport. It was in existence from uh, sometime in the 60s, I'm not too sure exactly when. But uh, it, it slowly developed, and in the mid-80s, it, uh, it really took off when uh, the Kerry Group uh, and Dennis Braston became interested in its uh, existence and, and uh, really put a new dynamic into it, uh, rebuilt the airport, rebuilt the, new, the, the, the terminal buildings, and uh, eventually succeeded in getting Ryanair and Aer Lingus to operate services in and out of uh, Kerry. Um, Kerry must have been one of the first, if not the first, uh, uh, provincial airport, shall we say, uh, to be uh, operating a regular scheduled service. Cork, of course, had its services, but uh, nothing on, on the scale of uh, Kerry. Kerry really took off when Ryanair took off, and Ryanair began a service to Stansted and now also has uh, other services. and. Uh, what, what really uh, began as a very small airport is now quite a, a major international airport with uh, a, a lot of scheduled services to major places, plus uh, a whole series of uh, charter flights to holiday destinations, which uh, my own company uh, initiated some number of years ago and operate regularly now to some of the, the best-known holiday destinations in Europe. Uh, there has been a further major expansion in the airport over the last two or three years and uh, there are uh, plans to operate uh, or there is uh, at least talk about operating uh, perhaps an occasional service uh, on the transatlantic routes. So that has been a huge, a huge benefit to uh, the, the airport and to the whole area which uh, depends on it, especially for the tourism business. One of the most interesting destinations that David and his wife Betty travelled to was China. Of all the places we have visited, Betty and I as um, visitors or as uh, tour leaders, uh, perhaps uh, the most interesting was is China. 
It's a huge country and it, it has a tremendous history going back for thousands of years. And it has developed a culture and um, a, a way of life which is uh, very ancient and very and very uh, productive and very interesting. And they just uh, at the moment now they're finishing off a, a massive uh, a project uh, called the, the Three Gorges Dam which uh, has harnessed the power of the mighty Yangtze River and will produce an immense amount of uh, electricity and power for the emerging economic giant, which is going to be uh, China. But uh, with all their splendor and all their tombs and uh, a wealth of, of, of ancient uh, art, uh, there is still no place like home. And uh, Phoenix has such an attraction for us that uh, we're always glad to get back to it. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't uh, live uh, always in Phoenix, of course, but I do have a lot of uh, happy memories of uh, coming to Phoenix uh, since I, I was very young. Uh, during the war, when the cars were off the road, we came to Phoenix on our uh, holidays during the summer and uh, we uh, stayed in uh, a house uh, in the middle of the village which was owned by uh, Mrs. O'Donnell and it was in Phoenix that uh, in 1942 that I learned to swim in the sea and I have kept at it uh, ever since. Uh, I was always very active in the Tralee Swimming Club and uh, quite recently my son Michael and I uh, were invited to join a swim from uh, an, in an invitational swim from Alcatraz to San Francisco which we completed on the 30th of September of this year and this was a huge personal achievement for me at my age. I, I, am, I am now listed as being the oldest person ever to have escaped from Alcatraz. The Slattery family were always involved in both the Phoenix Lighthouse and the Phoenix Pier. But he was certainly on a, a part of the uh, uh, Trillian Phoenix uh, Harbour Board, <coughs> which uh, is um, a long-established uh, public body and uh, which uh, performs a very good function in, in looking after the, the, the commercial life of Phoenix which is probably uh, as big now as it has ever is, as it has been for many years. You must see Phoenix Lighthouse uh, light flashing here at night time, uh, a sure reminder of, uh, of uh, traffic at sea. And, uh... Ah, yes, indeed. Uh, Phoenix has uh, the distinction of having a very fine lighthouse situated right in the middle of the bay. Um, it... it uh, it has been one of the primary lighthouses on the west coast for many, many years. And it also has, it is also the base for uh, one of the uh, lifeboat stations, uh, a very active um, uh, service which provides uh, great comfort and safety for all those who um, ply their trades and their pleasures on the sea. Uh, and of course, uh, the pier in Phoenix is a wonderful attraction. You've been listening to the late David Slattery, recorded at his home in Phoenix with his wife Betty in 2006. 
Now I'd like to tell you about a new up-and-coming book titled The Great House in Kerry, A Social History. And this book is edited by my wife Jane O'Keefe and features 12 of Kerry's well-known historians and writers and will be in all the bookshops from next month. The podcast next week will feature some of the writers who are contributing to this book. And they include John Knightley. Reading these letters from the... 18th and 19th century, describing them, you know, 200 years ago, it, it all made sense to mm. me, and I was able to, to kind of, you know, bring it to life almost. Tom Denny. On this, um, on this day, um, the last piece of land that the Dennys had um, inhabited for 300 years was sold to satisfy the creditors of Sir Arthur Denny. Dick Spring. The background originally from the Spring family would have been Castlemaine, uh, where they have lived for longer than you'd want to remember, mm-hmm. hundreds of years. I think it goes back to around the 1588, uh, when a gentleman by the name of Captain Thomas Spring, he's the first record we have of a spring in Kerry. Declan Downey writing about the Leslies of North Kerry, and here's John. Well, uh, the Leslies, uh, the Leslie family came down um, through Scotland, um, down through the north of Ireland, and they arrived in this area at the, at the, in the second half of the uh, 17th century. And between 1680 and 1690, this house was built uh, for the Leslie family, and uh, by direct succession, we are still here. So our next podcast will feature many of those writers who are writing for this book titled The Great House in Kerry, A Social History. My name is Maurice O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you that podcast next time.